Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. I think, I mean, my natural inclination is to believe that Canadians are a giving people. It's, it seems that we are. It seems that, maybe I, I should rephrase that. It seems that we should be. Our reputation, our, the stereotype of a Canadian would, would seem to suggest that we should be a giving people. That we should be generous with what we have. That would be the, that would, as I say, seem to be the stereotype. The question is, are we? Today is Giving Tuesday. I don't know if you know about Giving Tuesday. It's something that started 10 years ago. It was a very specific, well, it was a creation very specifically designed to find a day that would remind people to give. It was the Tuesday, it was started in the States. It was started the Tuesday after American Thanksgiving. And it was a, a specific, it was kind of like Bell, let's talk or something like a specific moment to say, hey, think about this and maybe give a donation to this. I mean, ultimately, we'd like to be believing we're giving money to charities or to helping out all the time. But let me go back to my question. Are Canadians a giving, generous people? I want to bring in Nicole Danese. She is a senior manager of public relations with Canada Helps. Joins us now. Thank you for doing this, Nicole. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So are we a giving, generous people here in Canada? I certainly think we are, and today we've seen a lot of giving from coast to coast to coast in Canada, and of course, for Giving Tuesday, it is a global movement, so even outside of Canada, we've seen a lot of generosity so far today. Which is tremendous. I mean, this is exactly why you have a day like this, so it's front of mind and people think to do it. Do we do it when it's not Giving Tuesday, though? For sure. Um, you know, at Canada Helps, our entire mission is to make it easy for Canadians and we, to, to give, that is. And we see Canadians giving every single day of the year, whether it's through a monthly donation, launching a fundraiser, giving a charity gift card. There's so many different ways. Um, of course, you know, at this point in time right now, we're all facing the rising cost of living, which makes it, of course, much more challenging in order to support your favorite charity financially, that is. Um, but we are still seeing Canadians give today and also other days of the year, of course. I, I know that, and the reason I ask is I know that, um, when was this story written uh, that I'm looking at right now? Um, back in April, uh, Canada Gives was talking about, uh, Canada Helps, pardon me, was talking about what we were going to give this year. And right. because of the economy, because things were tough, Canadians were saying 25% of Canadians said they were going to be giving less this year. Understandable for sure, but that that really, I imagine, would put a pinch on an awful lot of the charities that rely on people. Right. It certainly has been challenging. And even more recently than that report that we published back in April, we actually just released some Ipsos data that we did um, just a, about a week ago. Um, announcing stats that we have um, that are that are brand new, like I said, that actually um, reveal that there's about 13% of Canadians that are expecting to give more to charities this year versus last year. But at the same time, about 20% of Canadians are actually anticipating to reduce their charitable giving this year. Among that group of individuals that are expecting to reduce their giving, we ask them, what is, what is the reason as to why you're expecting to reduce your, your giving this year? And 74% of those respondents actually said that the primary reason for doing so is because of the rising cost of living. Mm. So, you know, unequivocally, there, it is challenging, um, but we are, you know, those 13% of Canadians are still giving, but uh, we are hoping that if you are able to give, 
Giving Tuesday or any other day of the year, uh, you're able to give generously to the causes you care about. Let me ask you a really difficult question. I think it's a really difficult question. I would not know how to answer this myself. What percentage, giving, giving what percentage of what you bring in would be considered generous? I, I have no mm-hmm. idea what the answer would be, but I mean, you know, p- people who, who follow, uh, you know, many people who go to church say 10% for a tithe. Is, so uh, something, it's below. Some people give way more than that. What, what is an amount that would be considered generous? Do we have any idea? Right. It is certainly a challenging question you're posing me, posing to me, I should say. Um, and really, I would say it, it all comes down to personal choice in that sense. I've actually seen or, and heard of individuals saying that, um, you know, you mentioned 10%. Um, I've seen other individuals say you should donate 1% of your annual salary, but it's really a personal choice. There's no one way of doing this um, in order to support the causes you care about. Yeah, and and part of the reason I ask is because I do believe that Canadians are generous, and I I do believe many people do. Um, The Fraser Institute, though, back last year or early in the year, looked at the numbers that people gave, and and on average, um, Manitobans were the highest. They gave 0.75% of their salary, but other provinces as low as a point. 17, but what, 17, what is it? 17.1% of people donated and it was 0.24%. It was like, like the numbers were low. And I was, I was kind of surprised by that. I thought that I just expected that people would be giving one or two or 3%. Maybe, maybe I'm naive. Maybe, maybe I'm an optimist. I, I was kind of thinking that the numbers would be higher than that. Right, you know, and we see that, of course, you know, there's there's different stats across the country. Um, but I think the other thing, um, on top of just the giving side of things, um, I, the other thing that I, I also want to touch on is that um, as part of our Ipsos poll, we also ask Canadians um, if they are expecting to actually receive and need essential charitable services like food and shelter in the next six months. And that stat was actually two in 10 Canadians. That's 22% of Canadians that up? are saying. That has so, to be yeah. up, right? So in when we asked that same question in January, that number was at 14%. Right. Now it's 22. So, and that was from our Ipsos poll. So it really shows that, you know, there there's a number of different Canadians, of course, uh, goes without saying, facing very different, different circumstances. Um, but, um, you know, it, it's really today's, today's a day about giving and generosity and celebrating that, um, and also really reflecting on the causes that you care about as well. Sure. And, and one more thing is, I, I wonder if we respect enough or, or, um, maybe that's not the right word. I don't know what the right word is, but the charities that do the work. I mean, do, do, do you think we hold them in regard enough, those who are out there doing this for charity dollars? I certainly hope so. Um, I think, you know, one of the things I've personally reflected on quite a bit uh, is that I think Canadians should also really think about how we are all touched by charities, that the charitable sector is not just there for, you know, when, um, you know, you fall on hard times, for example, and supporting individuals who need that, those essential services. If you've ever been to a library, if you've ever been to a hospital, if you've ever been to a local community, um, you know, arts and culture theater, for example, um, oftentimes, all of these organizations that I just mentioned are actually supported and backed by a a, a charity, Um, even sort of, you know, academic institutions. Yes, they're completely, you know, they're widely funded by governments as well. But, 
the, the act of giving and philanthropy in the charitable sector are, is so immersed in society. And I'm hoping today we can also talk about that as well. It's, uh, it is a good day to be reminded of this. As I say, it's called Giving Tuesday, and I don't know that uh, you necessarily have to go through the Giving Tuesday website. Just find a good charity that you appreciate and you like, and uh, if you've got some ability to do it, I think that's kind of the idea here. It doesn't have to be official. It just has to be something. Um, Nicole Danese, uh, Senior Manager, Senior Manager of Public Relations with uh, Canada Helps. Really appreciate the time today. Thank you for doing this. Thank you so much. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. If you've been thinking as you've been watching the World Cup or paying attention to what's going on with the World Cup or, you know, just on the periphery of being aware of the World Cup, you have probably been aware that it's not just about soccer, football, whatever you want to say. Uh, Today we are learning that FIFA, the governing body of soccer in the world, is investigating Croatian fans for taunting Canada's goalie, Milan Borjan, who, um, for his Serbian heritage, they were holding flags and and, um, making fun of him during a game. Qatar has obviously been at the center of debates and protests and things about their human rights. Uh, Yesterday, the U.S. team was absolutely grilled by Iranian journalists about all kinds of things, including human rights problems in their own country. Uh, A Mexican boxer is angry with Argentinian star Lionel Messi for apparently disrespecting a Mexican flag. You you know what happened with Canada's coach John Herdman and uh, Croatia with his comments. It is, and there are more. Believe me, there are more. It is seemingly impossible to simply play an international game of any sport, let alone soccer, without fully injecting it with a heavy dose of politics. But why is this? I want to bring in Anne Pegararo. She is the Lang Chair in Sport Management at the Department of Management at, Bro- at uh, University of Guelph. Really appreciate the time today. Thank you for doing this. Oh, thanks for having me on. Why do you think, let's start right with the big broad strokes question here. Why do you think it is so impossible for sports, especially not only international sports, but usually to have just a game be played without it devolving into some sort of political battle? Well, you know, when, when our national teams play, um, we wrap ourselves up in it, right. As, as a, as who we are and, and we're taking on, like, you think about Canada, us hockey, like we're always in this, right. <laughs> and, and maybe we're not, um, you know, we're not necessarily dealing with some of the same things we're seeing unfold around the, the, the world cup, but we use it as a nation building tool. Like sport is used by so many countries, um, to try to build a nation, a brand, a feeling amongst its people and an international reputation. And so in doing so, it evokes these kind of emotions amongst fans that just sort of boil over into both good and bad behavior. You said a couple things there. You said brand and you said feelings. Now, those are two different things, but I think you're right. They're both in this. But if it is, let's go to the feelings one for a second, because if it's merely about trying to feel something, that doesn't necessarily have a negative context. And yet, I mean, I look back at 2010 for the Olympics, the, the men's hockey, uh, the women had already taken care of business. Now the men are playing. If Canada had not scored in overtime, if Sidney Crosby had not scored, if Canada didn't win that game, not only are we probably feeling lousy about ourselves, but that Olympics might be considered a disaster at this point. I mean, that was, it was that important to our cultural psyche. 
That's right. And so, you know, we study this in, in, in research, and we have two sort of, like, acronyms we use for them. So the first one that's is weird is called BIRGING. It's B-I-R-G. It's Basking in Reflective Glory. So that means, okay. hey, listen, Canada wins. Canada wins. We won. Like, as a nation, we're part of it, right? The next one is called CORFING. You cut off their failure, right? So the thing here is they lost, right? Canada loses. That would have been, that's what you're saying. They lost. This is a really bad Olympics for us. Etc. Right. So we have to distance ourselves because as fans, a big part of our identity gets wrapped up into the teams we cheer for. And when you add national and, you know, historical battles between nations and that, those feelings get fairly intense. So so I'm thinking of the word corfing you just came up with. I'm thinking <laughs> Ben Johnson might be the ultimate idea of corfing because as soon as he had his medal stripped and the whole steroid thing happened, he immediately, in many people's eyes, ceased to become a Canadian runner. He was a Jamaican runner again. Absolutely. Got to get rid of him because he's not us. We have to distance ourselves. I mean, listen, if we want to talk about, about politics and sport, and a great example in Canada would have been the Summit Series in, in seven. Oh, yeah. I mean, this, you know, this was our game, our nation, our ideals, our democracy versus communism in another country. While the sport was where it played out, there was a lot of politics involved in that entire series. It, when you talk about our identity... Is it the same kind of thing then as, you know, we, we hear all the time about parents of kids in minor sports living vicariously and getting completely wrapped up because kind of their kid is got to be good to show how good a parent or a breeder or DNA or whatever is that they are. Is it kind of the same thing? It is. It's part of, like, we've created sport as, as, as uh, this sort of, iconic thing in our society. And if you're successful at it, you achieve some sort of different status, right? And that status conferred to you, it's conferred to your family members, um, particularly in, a, in hockey, our national game, we see that all the time. And so for sure, parents get part of their identity wrapped up into, you know, how their child's doing. And, and what we see, unfortunately, is some very bad behavior when the child isn't successful. And so it, I would hope that maybe some people are listening and realizing that, you know, your identity doesn't fully have to be around the, the success of, of your child in sport, much like our identity doesn't have to be all the time about what how Canada does uh, internationally as well. And, and I and I agree with you with especially the latter part. I agree with you most of the time. I, I mean, <laughs> if if Canada loses in some sporting event to, especially in a sport that we're not really good at, to a country that we don't really have any kind of strong feelings about, it doesn't seem like we carry this same need. Uh, but if it's against, again, a country in hockey against the Russians or in a lot of things about the, to the Americans, or, and especially in a sport that we're supposed to matter in, it seems to be two completely different things. We're able to separate ourselves from one, we're not from the other. Yes, exactly. I mean, we're about to embark on a World Junior Hockey Tournament. While we might know that hockey's a bit mired in some other issues in Canada, we're going to see this happen over Christmas. We're going to see Canadians, you know, cheer on young men taking the ice, wearing Canadian gear against other nations, right? So, look, if we had, if we lost to Croatia in hockey, we would be outraged. We lost to Croatia in soccer, and we're like, okay, <laughs> you know, we're, we're not there yet. We're not at the top of our game. So it does matter how good you are at the sport. Um, I think in terms of soccer, football, it is probably, it is the largest sport in the world. It is followed by the most people, and it has the biggest sort of political nation divides in it, because people have used it for years 
as this nation-building tool, whether hosting a World Cup, whether getting into the World Cup because of how much money that brings into your country to develop football. So it has a lot of other connotations around politics for sure. Can it be a positive? And let me ask you why I say that, uh, even though everything we've talked about has kind of had negative connotations. This thing with Croatia, as you say, I don't think most Canadians like well, dislike Croatians. I think we're fine with Croatians. I don't think we have a problem with Croatians. And yet when John Herdman makes this comment and the Croatians get all riled up and start taking shots at us before the game, suddenly a game that probably we didn't really care. Uh, we wanted to win, but from a nationalistic standpoint, we didn't care about. Now we do. That, that, is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? Well, you know, I think maybe it's a bit of both, right? I, I, I certainly believe it's a good thing to have pride in, in your nation and to support um, you, your teams when they compete um, and to bring some sort of pride with it. I think we just need to be careful we don't step over the line like some of the other fans. I would not want to see it devolve into death threats or, or things of that nature. But having pride and being upset at another nation that you want to beat them on a, on a pitch fair and square, I think that's good feelings. I, I think that's a, that's the competitive nature of sport and that's the competitive nature of you know, international relations between countries as well. Well, it's the, it's the really good feelings or it's the really bad feelings, depending on what the result becomes. Exactly. Yeah. Has <laughs> this... 20 minutes of really good feelings and then we kind of didn't feel so good. <laughs> well, I, look, I, I've argued this for a long, long time that probably eight or nine of the 10 moments in our country's history that have brought us together the most have been sports events. I mean, you can you can argue, uh, you, you know, Vimy Ridge or something was one of them. That would be out of there. You can maybe argue the Quebec, the last Quebec referendum might be in there. But otherwise, you're talking the Summit Series, as you mentioned, and Terry Fox and Ben Johnson and Donovan Bailey and Joe Carter hitting a home run and Sidney Crosby and the golden goal by the women in Sochi and a few others. I mean, you go down the list and the things that have made us feel Canadian and feel great have been largely sports events. Right, because as a nation, we're not really, um, you know, embroiled in some major controversies internationally. No, we're not the United States. We're not. We're not invading other countries. We're not going to war. And so, a lot of our international successes have come through sport, for sure. Has it ever not? Not just for Canada in general. Has it ever not been like this? You mentioned seventy-two, and I think okay, that's we just celebrated the fiftieth anniversary. The no, wait, the yeah, the fiftieth anniversary of that, but. You know, then I think, okay, we go back to the 1936 Berlin Olympics and with the Nazi games and you go, okay, but it it was even before then, wasn't it, that this has been the case? Yeah, I think we we naively all thought probably, you know, when we first started building international mega events like Olympics or or, or uh, the World Cup, that this would be a way to bring nations together in friendly competitions and build <laughs> some camaraderie and, you know, it not be, it'd be good for international relations, right? It would bring leaders because in a lot of these events, international leaders attend, right? And there's chances to have those backdoor conversations and see what could happen. I think we probably really realized quickly the competitive nature of sport doesn't necessarily lend it to that great camaraderie and, and, and building. So I think some of the early events had it, but as, as we've moved forward and we've had some world wars impact them, and now we sort of see, you know, um, the downside of, of the competitive nature, meaning we build these rifts. And, and then the latest thing we're seeing with sport that I think also does this is this nation-building thing, right? We call it sport washing. Beijing in the Winter Olympics, Qatar in the World Cup. It's countries who have maybe nice way to say it, dubious international uh, brands or, or images using sport to wash that into something that's better, right? I'm going to host this mega event. People are going to feel very happy about the experience and it's going to impact how they think about my country. 
Well, the Live Golf Tour. Yeah, the Live Golf Tour. With <laughs> the Live the, Golf um, Tour is another exact, it's a great example of the same thing. With, with the Saudi money doing this. So... So do you, I mean, do you have a theory and, and this is impossible to ask, I mean, I, <laughs> do you have a theory of an example of the earliest of this? Because I'm, even as we're talking and I had not considered this before we started chatting, the thing that popped into my mind is the movie Chariots of Fire, which I mean, even then, and I know that was fictional, but it's based on something real, that that was a culturally politically charged situation and that's back I don't even remember what year those Olympics were I mean you you go back to that and we're talking about this yeah I would sort of say almost probably from the first games on once people realized what these events were like I think past the inaugural versions of them I think we started to see it happen I mean almost every single Olympic Games we can attach something to um, you know we have Munich we have like you said 36 we have 68 we have multiple we have the 80 boycotts like every time there's an Olympics um, there's something with it, right? Beijing was diplomatic um, uh, boycotts, and people didn't send their diplomats to it. And so we, every time we see it, there's more and more tension around it. And I think we're hard pressed, other than the first events, to find ones that have have stayed true to maybe what they were about when they were first put together. Because people behind the scenes, in terms of these countries, start seeing these as ways to to build images, to build power, um, to win at sports, and to show the world where they are on the stage. With the examples you just gave, so Munich and the 1980 Olympic boycott and a few others, makes me wonder, have, have sports invited politics into their games or has politics nosed its way into the sporting, of, sporting world? Yeah, I don't know. I we could go back to the very beginning and figure what, you know, this is our chicken and egg. And, you know, I'm glad we're having the conversation because a lot of people think that, oh, sports and politics don't mix, which is a very naive, uh, you know, discussion. You should keep it out, you know, when athletes protest, you should keep politics out of sport. They have been intertwined since, I think, the very beginning. You can't separate them. And particularly when you're starting to look at ones that, that involve nations and in international competition, you really can't see uh, where did, where, what started first, sports or the politics in them. Well, uh, Thomas Bach, who's the president of the IOC, right before the Tokyo Olympics, now I, I believe that he was desperately trying to make sure nobody did anything to screw up Beijing. Tokyo was going to be benign. Let's just run this as a mm-hmm. trial run. But he said, um, polit- uh, the Olympics are not, this is his quote, are not about politics. Athletes should be politically neutral at the games. And I thought the same thing you did. How unbelievably naive you, when you are marching athletes into a stadium behind their own flag, how do you say there's no politics? Yeah. And I think that's really what he was trying to get the message across to the athletes was we're not looking for protests here. We want this to run smoothly. You know, it's, it's a bit like the shut up and dribble to, to LeBron. It's like stay in your own lane. You're an athlete, you're here to compete and your job isn't to raise issues around human rights uh, violations or, uh, you know, inequities, et cetera. And, and athletes now have their own voice, right? They have their own social media platforms. They have their own way to get messages out. I think this scares people like Thomas Bach in the IOC. That's a fascinating thing you just bring up because if we're talking that much of politics in sports is not necessarily ideal, that it complicates things, it muddies things, it creates bad blood in some ways. What about the idea of athletes who are athletes. I mean, the, the, the shut up and dribble kind of thing. Is there a, if we look back on this one, cause I think that ball, that boat has probably sailed, but it, if we look back, would it have been better for athletes to say, I'm just an athlete. I'm here to play a game. Don't ask me this stuff. I'm not going to answer it. 
And I think some athletes have tried it. I think, you know, most recently what we saw was a really bad old situation with Kyrie Irving in the NBA and his anti-Semitic um, yep. uh, posts, etc. And when he came back from it, he made a statement. He said, I've learned from it. And then they asked him in the press conference, you know, can you, can you elaborate on what you learned or tell us what's going on? And he said, I'm just here to talk about the game. So now he retracted himself, realizing, you know, he, over, he stepped into an area and, and created a massive hornet's nest for himself with, with espousing those views, and now he wants to retract himself into it. I think that, that athletes uh, right now in the World Cup are getting sort of pinged for this. They did not wear the One Love armband because of the FIFA, the FIFA yellow card um, that was going to come with it, and people are angry at them. These are individuals who make multi-million dollars, not through the World Cup, but through their, their clubs they pay for, and they could have taken this chance that, because the backlash to them wouldn't have been that big. They could have used this stage to stand up to FIFA, and they didn't. And so I think we, we have people you know, on both sides. Athletes shouldn't get into politics, and we have a large group of fans that say we want athletes to make these stands and to you know, represent the values we want this to see in society. Well, when he was at the very top of his game, Michael Jordan used to get slammed by people at times for not taking a position. He was just a pitch man. I just, you know, I just sell Nikes and shoot a ball into a hoop. And, and people used to criticize him, and then... I think in retrospect, probably an awful lot of athletes would in, would now say, you know what, that wasn't the worst thing in the world just to say, I am here to play a game and don't make me have to take a stand that's going to alienate half the people in the country. Yeah, you know, it's funny you bring him up, and this is this is the world I live in in academia, and, and I just uh, we just wrote a paper, a couple of us, about Michael Jordan and and his, we call it inadvertent activism. And so he didn't, right? He wasn't, you know, his famous line is, Republicans buy sneakers too. What he did was took advantage of the NBA wanting to grow under David Stern and said, hey, listen, there's this capitalist system. They need me. I need them to make money. And he essentially used this as a way to be an activist, I think, to make as much money as he could. He's the first billionaire athlete, the first black billionaire athlete. Without him, there's no LeBron James, there's no Steph Curry, there are no $100 million sneaker contracts. And so he actually did the, the, the groundwork that led to those athletes being able to make generational wealth themselves. So we call it inadvertent activism because you know he didn't support causes. But he certainly paved the way for a lot of other black athletes to make a lot of money. Well, and you, I think you could you not put Tiger Woods in the exact same position? Absolutely. Tiger Woods came in after him. He was right after Michael. And I think he's done the same thing. And yet, and we only have a minute or two left here, but <laughs> yet the LeBron James has been much more outspoken. And yet, for whatever it's worth, being political, if you were to ask a thousand NBA fans... I think you could make a very good case LeBron James is the best NBA player of all time with what he's done, but I don't think there's a chance in the world that he wins a public vote on that because Michael Jordan hasn't alienated a bunch of people, and so everybody's okay with Michael Jordan. Some people love LeBron, but other people say, I've got no time for that guy. Absolutely. I think they, they, they've sort of stuck Michael on that pedestal, right? Because he, he never rocked a boat. He just won and made money. And I think if LeBron had done the same, which he has, without the outspokenness, they probably would receive him differently. It is uh, it is a fascinating topic, certainly, that, uh, as I say, as the World Cup goes along, it seems every day there's another political story that comes out of this one. Some have already called it the most political World Cup ever. Just wait until it gets to the States in four years, and, and we'll see if it still holds on to that title. I, We're going to see it coming through in Canada, so stay tuned. Yeah, I suspect not. Now, you missed out on one thing, though. You know, when you said that the Olympics, you know, they, it's about building relationships, all the stories we ever hear about the athletes' village and some of the you know stuff that goes on there, I think there are relationships built, just not on the field. 
I think you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Anne Pegararo, who is the Lang Chair in Sport Management in the Department of Management at the University of Guelph. A great conversation. Thanks so much for doing this today. Oh, thanks for having me on. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.